Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are dedicated to helping you live your best life. And it's a journey that we call pursuing limitless life in Jesus. And we're doing it all for one reason, so that our lives can impact the world. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. We're going to continue our series that we started last week called Things Jesus Never Said. Basically, our goal is to bring some clarity on um, and help you you clarify what Jesus actually said versus what culture is telling us, because they they tend to be a little bit different. But hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Cade, and I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth, up here on the front row. Here at No Limits, uh, we're on one mission of making a difference in the lives of others. And the way we do that is by helping people know God. We want to help people find freedom, and we want to help people discover their purpose. In other words, we want to help you live the life that, you, that God planned for you before you were even born. How cool that he had a plan for us before he made us. That's so awesome. But it's a journey. How many of you all realize you don't get there overnight? And how many of you all realize that you need people in your corner to help you live this life? Can't do it alone. So that's why we meet every week. That's why we have small groups. That's why we do all this. And the goal we're reaching for is found in Ephesians 3.20, which basically tells us when we all come together as like a united church and take the limits off of what God wants to do in our lives, like he's just going to blow our minds with what he accomplishes through us. So that's what we're after. That's what we're believing for. We're believing that God is going to use us as a mighty force, not only in Owasso, but all around the world. Can you all agree with that with me? Stretch out your face. So that's what we're after. That's why we're called No Limits Church. So go ahead and nudge your neighbor and just say, it's time to take the limits off. It's time. Well, last night we had uh, our first ever marriage night, and that's why you see these, these lights hanging. We, we didn't take them down. Maybe we'll take them down for next week. Maybe we'll just leave them up forever. Who knows? But it was a good time. We had an amazing message from our founding pastors, uh, Mark and Jeannie Young, which are also my parents. And then we had, I think my favorite part of the night was the Q&A session where everybody could anonymously ask their most burning marriage questions. And man, y'all, we got in the weeds. I think the third question was was about like when husband and wife aren't on the same page as far as how often to have sex. Like that's how real it got yesterday at marriage night. It was good stuff. I loved it. And I just want to take a moment to thank our dream teamers that made that happen because it took a crew of them. Taylor and Brindley and Samantha and Dylan and Jennifer and Amy Mitchell, Jason, Tim and Darla, Coonrod, Brooke and Talon, and then all the couples who stayed afterwards, after they'd already paid their registration, they stayed and helped clean up. Like, that's just amazing. So y'all are incredible. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, Dream Teamers. Y'all making a difference. All right, let's get into this message. So these days, it's easy to see life the way that we want to. You can get on Instagram and you can add a filter to your image to make yourself look more purty or whatever you want to do there. You can listen to only the news that you want to hear and only the viewpoints that you want to hear. And whenever we do that, it kind of distorts our view of the world. And we think that everybody sees things the way that we do. Oh, that's just me. All right. But the same thing can happen to our view of God because we, we, we reshape our perception of him into what we want to believe or into what we want to hear or what we want to think. But Jesus came to bring us the truth about God and his plan for us. And it rarely agrees with what culture is telling you. And often what Jesus says often disagrees with what you want to hear. <laughs> Anybody notice that? So through the series, we're revealing popular misconception and bringing clear truth. We can learn about the ways of Jesus through what he said. And we can also learn about the ways of Jesus through what he didn't say in the Bible. So last week, Chris Rose from Don't Look Back Prison Ministry kicked off this series with part one of this message, because something that you'll hear often is that, yes, you need to forgive most people, but there's those few that, like, if they do something really bad, or or maybe they've done it for the hundredth time, or 
Maybe they knew better, like, you don't need to forgive them. That's how the world sees it, but Chris kind of blew that idea to smithereens, didn't he? Something Jesus never said was, you don't need to forgive them. No, what Jesus did say is to forgive everyone of everything, just like he forgave us of everything. And today, we're going to look at what Jesus didn't say about happiness. And the reason this is so important is because we're all on a quest to experience happiness. I mean, I don't think any of us are on a quest to experience a miserable life. Anybody? So let's start by looking at some things that Jesus did not say about happiness. Go into all the world and preach whatever makes people happy. Not Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must avoid being uncomfortable and follow their heart. Not Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you because God is your heavenly sugar daddy. Not Jesus. So these are things that Jesus never said, although if we're honest, some of us wish that maybe he did say those things. But let's take a look at a story in John chapter 8, and you've probably heard this story before, and you've learned some things based on what Jesus said in this story, but we're going to read it again to see if we can get something from what Jesus did not say in this story. So take a look. John chapter 8, verse 2, early the next morning, Jesus went back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. All right, let's paint a picture of what's really going on here. Jesus was at church teaching a group of people who wanted to be there. They, they showed up to hear Jesus. In the middle of his teaching, they were rudely interrupted by these religious people bringing this woman in their midst. That's like if somebody just brought a woman in right now who was caught in the act of adultery and brings her right here up front. Somehow they had caught this woman in the act of adultery like they caught her in the act. Question is, where is the guy? Because if they caught her in the act, the guy was there, right? And also, like, how did they seem to like stumble upon this anyway? That's, that's another question I got. Another issue for another time. But since they found this woman in the middle of an intimate relation with somebody who wasn't her spouse, I would imagine that she was not fully dressed. So this had to be one of the most humiliating moments of her life, being drugged into a church where a group of people were, and Jesus was, for her, all of her dirty laundry to just be aired out in front of everyone. So they put her, not in the back of the crowd, but in the front of it, and teach her, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So, okay, it kind of makes sense, right, that the religious leaders at the time would want this woman to pay for her sins. I mean, even today, people see pastors as somebody who's just going to, you know, confront you about your sin, right? They just want to make it right. Hopefully you guys know that I'll never air out your dirty laundry in front of the church. And hopefully you know that I also won't try to have you killed because of your sin. Can we all nod yes that you know that I won't do that to you? But, but when you do come to church, you're probably going to hear some things that need to change in your life. And the only reason I bring those to you is because I love you. If you've ever noticed, the people in your life that love you the most are the ones that are willing to have those hard conversations with you. So I do this because I love you guys, but that's not why these Pharisees were doing it, so I can't really relate with these guys. They had a different motive. Take a look at this. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. In other words, they used this woman as a tool to trap Jesus. They hated Jesus, but they couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, so they went out of their way to find this woman who was committing adultery so they could try to trap Jesus. That was their motive. These sound like fine fellas, don't they? They were right, though. The law at the time commanded that anyone caught in adultery should be stoned. And we're not talking about cannabis. We're talking about rocks. 
And we're not even talking about those kind of rocks. Like we're talking about real rocks. Stones that you throw at people until they die a painful, miserable death. That's what they were supposed to do to this woman, according to the law. So it seems as if Jesus is like caught in a predicament. Like if he agrees to stone this woman, he kind of loses his, his reputation of unconditional love. But if he lets her go, then he's like condoning sin as if it's not a big deal. It's not, just go commit adultery. It's no big deal. But then he does something unexpected. What's Jesus going to do? Well, he stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger, of course. If you all ask me a question like that and I squatted down and I wrote in the dust on the floor with my finger, you probably wouldn't stick around for very long. That might be your only Sunday here. First of all, you'd wonder why the floor was so dirty. And second of all, you just think, guys, crazy. And even though it's a bit strange, everyone wants to know, what was Jesus writing? Well, the answer, we won't know until we can get to heaven and we ask him. We won't know for sure, but we do have some ideas. And there's actually manuscripts that say that Jesus started listing the sins of the accusers of the woman. Like, Pharisee Joe, let me just list out your search history from last night. Right? And although it's likely that this is what Jesus was writing, we don't know for sure. But can you imagine, though? Like, these were the religious leaders of the time, and Jesus writing down their, their sins on the floor. Whew, they were probably scared. And that's why they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And what's interesting is if you look into the Greek word that was translated to never sinned, it doesn't just mean that you never committed sins. It means that you never wanted to commit sins. That's deep. Because I don't know about you, but there's been times that I didn't do it, but there was part of me that wanted to. And I'm really good at seeing everybody else's sin, but kind of blind to my own. Just me. (laughs) It's amazing how easy it is to point the finger at others for the exact same thing that you do. Let me give you an example. We all hate it when people cut us off in traffic, but at some point you've cut somebody off in traffic. I caught all of you. You've done it. I know it. Or how about several weeks ago, actually several months ago, I preached about choosing joy. Anybody remember that message? I know you all do because you talked about it for weeks. I might need to bring that one back. But I went to Sam's Club that same day to get some groceries, and there were moments in that experience that I did not want to choose joy after I just preached about it. So all those who have never sinned and, and never even wanted to sin, go ahead and throw that first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Notice Jesus didn't say, go and do what makes you happy. It doesn't matter what you do, you do you. Maybe she would have liked it if he said that. But what Jesus said is, go and sin no more like it was urgent. Go. Don't wait. Don't go finish up your little fling that you were having with that guy. Don't wait until you feel like it. Do it now. Go and sin no more. Leave the life you were living and go live in freedom. Go. Live your best life. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus made it clear what we were supposed to do, but why is it so easy to give in to temptation? Why do we struggle with that? Well, let me give you three reasons. And this is where you can start filling in those message notes if you want to. Here's the first one. Sin is fun for a little while. Like sex outside of marriage is fun at first. And then the fun ends whenever your partner decides to pursue somebody else. Because after all, you weren't committed. It was just for fun. So yes, sin is fun. I mean, if you didn't have fun while you were sinning, you were probably doing it wrong. 
Probably were. Problem is, the fun eventually ends. And here's the next one. Sin is pleasurable for the moment. Like, it feels good to eat things that I shouldn't eat and to keep eating when I know I should stop. Feels good. Overeating and junk food, like, brings a lot of pleasure for the moment. It doesn't take long before the pleasure turns into a headache or irritability or kind of like overwhelming tiredness. I mean, eliminate sugar for a few weeks and then go eat you a big slice of chocolate cake and just let me know how you feel afterwards. You're going to notice it right off the bat. It's crazy. So sin does feel good. Ah, Feels good. The problem is it doesn't last. And here's the last one. Sin is acceptable in our culture. And we all want to fit in. We all want to be accepted. So when our culture tells us that we have to do things their way to be accepted, then we join in. Like we have sex outside of marriage. We drink too much alcohol. We gossip about others. We start to believe that abortion is okay. We start to believe it's okay to back out of our commitments. It's okay to buy the car that I can't afford. It's okay to live my life on credit cards because that's what the world does and I want to be accepted and I want to fit in with everybody else. Culture welcomes us when we sin and it feels nice. The problem is their acceptance really doesn't mean much. Like all you're going to find out is that they weren't your friends after all. They were actually just using you to feel better about their own sin. It's a bummer. But here's the deal. Sin promises satisfaction, but eventually delivers pain. Have you guys ever wondered what kind of woman this was that like committed adultery that we just talked about? Like maybe she was an evil woman who was just like going out to have sex with as many men as she could to destroy marriages. Although that's possible, I bet odds are she was a decent woman. Like maybe she had a marriage that started out great and then it just got... Kind of blah. Like maybe her husband wasn't giving enough attention to her, or he was taking her for granted, or he was verbally abusive. Maybe he was gone to work all the time, and she, and she felt like he didn't care about her and the kids anymore. So she decided to get a job to feel better about herself. And at work, she makes some new friends, and one of them is this really nice guy who appreciates the good job that she's done. He asks her how the kids are doing. Just an innocent, friendly relationship. And then he follows her on Instagram, and he likes and he comments on every post. And she starts to like this attention. So she starts to look forward to seeing him at work every day. And then they stay late one day after work. And he opens up about the struggles in his marriage. She opens up about the struggles in hers. And they make kind of this intimate connection. Then the next day at work, he accidentally brushes up against her shoulder as they pass each other in the hall. And she's just like, oh, could it be? Does he want me? So she talks to her friend. She knows it's wrong, but it feels so right. They, they begin to talk about how happy she would be if she was with this guy instead of her husband. And then her friends start saying things like, you got to do what makes you happy. Follow your heart. You do you, boo. <laughs> we don't know how it went down for the woman in the Bible, but I wanted to show you how it would probably happen today, just to give you a wider perspective of that story that we heard in the Bible. And one seemingly innocent step after another, one seemingly insignificant step after another, this woman found herself undressed and humiliated in front of a crowd of people with her dirty laundry being aired out. How did she get there? Because sin promises satisfaction, but it eventually delivers pain. The problem is you don't know how long that's going to take. So how do we find ourselves caught up in the same problem? I believe it's because we live in a culture that believes there's no absolute truth. Everything's relative. Like, this may be true for me, but it's not true for you. But here's the problem. Without a belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes me happy. Your truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. 
When the goal is my happiness, happiness becomes the standard by which I judge my own actions. And that's a dangerous place to be. I know the Bible tells me it's wrong, but it feels so right. Why would God want to keep something from me that feels so good? And then we start wondering this. Do I have to trade happiness for holiness? We start to believe that happiness and holiness are odds. In other words, if I'm going to live my life for God, then I have to sacrifice happiness. I either have to live a holy and miserable life, or I can go do what makes me happy. I've never read the scripture that says, God so loved the world that he wanted his children to be holy and miserable. (laughs) Maybe y'all can find that one for me, but I've never seen it. And as I read the Bible, I don't even get that vibe from God that he wants that to happen. Take a look at this. Here's just one example. Matthew 7, 11 says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So it sure doesn't sound like God wants me to be miserable. So if you feel like happiness and holiness are at odds, it's because you're looking for happiness in the wrong places. Let me ask you a question. If you take a fish out of water and you put him on the beach, is the fish ever going to be happy? But before you answer, let me give you some more detail. We're going to give the fish some things from this world to help make him happy. We're going to give him a pile of cash. We're going to give him a beach chair and some sunglasses and a margarita or a Mai Tai if he's in Hawaii. I mean, it depends where this beach is. We'll give him a phone so he can take a selfie and then post it on Instagram and kind of bask in all the likes and comments from himself taking a picture in his Speedo on the beach, right, for everybody to see. We give him all this stuff, and all he does is flop around on the beach like he don't care. And then he just lays there like he's dead. Oh, wait, he is dead. The fish could never be happy on the beach because he wasn't designed for the beach. If you're wondering why you're never happy with what this world has to offer, it's because you weren't designed for this world. You were designed by God, for God, to live for things that aren't of this world. That's why sin promises so much, but it never delivers, never does. You'll never be satisfied with things that you weren't designed for in the first place. The new car ain't going to do it. The new boyfriend ain't going to do it. Vacation, money, Botox, more likes on Instagram, another pair of shoes. None of this is going to give you the joy that your heart craves because here's the truth. Holiness is the pathway to true happiness and joy. So we've believed the lie that to live holy, to live according to the word of God, you have to give up fun and you have to give up happiness. But can I ask you all, how's that going for you? If you've tried that, when you're off doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, does it really bring lasting happiness and joy into your life? Or is it just giving you moments of escape from the pain in your life from living that kind of life? The world is not capable of making you happiness, making you happy. Holiness is the pathway to happiness. Let me show it to you in Psalms. Psalm 16:11 says, "You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever." This doesn't sound like a lame life at all. This sounds amazing. Like all this time we've been trying to find joy and pleasure in what the world has to offer, and God's had it here for us all along. Fullness of joy. Like there's no gaps. There's no emptiness. God fills you up to the point of overflowing with a joy that you can't even explain. Pleasures forever. Like we're talking about a life where you're satisfied and you're grateful and you're just in awe of what God is doing in your life. When you choose the path of holiness... By living your life in obedience to the word of God, people are going to look at you and they're going to wish they had what you have. And the cool thing is, you're going to be able to tell them how to get there. You don't put them down. You tell them how to get there. Come on, we can do this together. So what do we do to get out of sin and live in freedom and get that happiness? It all starts with one word. 
And the word I'm about to share with you is in the Bible has a lot of negative connotations because a lot of Christians use it to, to put you down if you're not living your life according to, the, to God. The word can even make you feel like it's not possible to please God. So if you've been in church for long, or maybe this is like your first time, you probably heard this word before. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. So the way you normally hear this is repent or you're going to hell. Turn or burn, fools. But did you know what the word really means? Hey, 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 you're headed in the wrong direction. God's this way. Come, turn around. Go this way. It's kind of like the Maps app on your phone whenever you go the wrong direction. It's like, make a U-turn. That's what repent means. Make a U-turn. You're headed in the wrong direction. It's as simple as that. The scripture is simply saying, instead of heading towards sin, head towards God. Then your sins are going to be wiped away. And then the very next scripture is the benefit of living this kind of life. It's incredible. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. So we tend to think that repenting of our sins is going to weigh us down. That's just going to be a heavy time. But it actually frees us. Times of refreshment that wash away the guilt, the shame, the regret. This is what it feels like to repent of your sins found in Psalms 32. What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. Happiness, joy, relief. All of this can be yours if you simply learn the art of repenting, turning around instead of hiding. I want to break this down into a few things you can do every day because I don't know about you, but I need some practical steps. How can I apply this to my life? If you came to Freedom Night, you've heard these already. It's always good to have a reminder. Here's the first one. Daily pursue God's plan for my life. If you wake up in the morning and your first thought is, God, today I choose to follow you. I don't want what the world has to offer. I'm not going to live my life like somebody else thinks that I should. I'm going to live my life like you think that I should. And I'm going to pursue your plan for my life. This is like the ultimate decision of, your, of repentance because you're starting your day by turning towards God. Because when you're turned towards God, you're turned away from sin. They're exact opposites. And here's how the Bible explains it. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Because then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And that's actually found in Romans 12 too. Got the wrong scripture reference. Sorry about that. But if you're still, if you're like sitting there wondering, I, you know, I'd love to pursue God's plan for my life. I just don't know what it is. This scripture has your answer for you. It starts by saying no to the world and its way of doing things. Not going to do that. You're going to do a complete 180. You're going to turn to God. And in the process, God's going to change the way that you think. Huh, how cool is that? When he does this, he's going to reveal his good and pleasing and perfect plan for you. But you've got action to take first. It's called repent. Turn. Make a U-turn, Right? Living your life for God is not boring. It's not a substandard life. You're not missing out on anything. No, God's plan for your life is good. You get to live with joy, and you get to live with peace, even when the things on the outside of you aren't peaceful. And here's the next one. Daily release my past. So after you start your day by turning towards God and his plan for your life, you've got to take time to ask, is there, is there anything in me that shouldn't be there? And in these moments, the Holy Spirit might reveal some unforgiveness that you've been holding on to for years. Or he might just reveal to you that time you were mean to your coworker yesterday. And when these, when these things come to mind, all you got to do is simply say, God, thank you for revealing this to me so I can bring it out into the open and receive your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me. That's all he wants. And then you just let it go. You release your past. You, you see, what you did is not who you are. 
When this becomes a really bad deal is whenever you start, your identity starts to become wrapped into the things that you've done wrong. And the reason that happens is because you're not releasing your past. You're holding on to it. So every day, take a moment to release the things that you did that you know you shouldn't have done so it doesn't become part of your identity because that's not who you are. So the first two things you do every day are between you and God. And don't ever neglect your, your time with God in the morning. It's so important. But don't overcomplicate it either, guys. You can do this while you're laying in bed in the morning. You don't have to get up at 5 a.m. and have quiet time to pursue God's plan for your life and release your past. Just open your eyes and let that be your first thought. But there's another important step in this journey to freedom, and this one might throw some people for a loop. Let's read the scripture first, James 5.16. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. But we live in a culture that values individuality. You do you, I'll do me. And then we have our devices that kind of give us a false sense of connection with other people. We think we're connected, but we really aren't. So everything is surface. Meaningful conversation is really rare. Yet the Bible tells us to be so real with each other that I'm confessing my sins to you on a regular basis. I don't know about that, but that's what brings healing. So confessing my sin to God brings forgiveness. Confessing my sin to another believer brings healing. The two go hand in hand. You got to do both of them. And that's why this last one's so important. Daily invest in godly relationships. If you're not spending time building relationships with others who are also pursuing God's plan for their life, you're not going to have anyone you feel comfortable getting real with. I mean, I don't know if you guys realize this, but you're not comfortable sharing your deepest, darkest secrets with somebody you only see for an hour on Sundays. So if you're not sure, like you're not sure that you can trust them to encourage you whenever you tell them that you're struggling with pornography instead of like beat you down and and tell you, you know, you just don't know if you can trust them to do that. So that's why you got to build these relationships first before you get to a point where you can like confess your sins to somebody. And that's why you have to daily invest in these godly relationships because you're going to need them. (laughs) You're going to mess up and you're going to need them. You're going to need that confession. This is why small groups exist here at No Limits, so we can get, you can get together every week with about six to eight people and just start to build those relationships. It doesn't happen after week one of small groups, guys. It's not like you show up to small group, my week one, and I have these relationships. No, you've got to invest in them. But then you're going to have people looking out for you whenever you invest in those relationships. They're going to notice when you're headed in the wrong direction. They're going to say, hey, come back over here. You can confess in a safe place. We're not going to beat you down. We're going to pray for you, and you're going to receive healing. You guys need these relationships. I need these relationships. I'm so thankful to have them. We can't do this on our own because God designed us to live with each other. So if you want to find and walk in freedom, you can't opt out of this one because you have to be intentional about building these relationships. And the best way for you to do that is to show up to your small group every week. Not just sign up for your small group, but show up to your small group every week. And then you're going to build those relationships where you're actually investing in those daily. You're going to start texting and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So let me show it to you in Scripture. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Man, I need that. We all need that. So daily pursue God's plan for my life. Daily release my past. And daily invest in godly relationships. Do these three things and you make them a habit and you're going to find yourself walking in freedom and you're going to find yourself experiencing true happiness and joy. I can pro- it's that simple. And you can do it. So y'all, let's pray. Go ahead and bow your heads. God, we thank you for your word. And we receive it today. If you feel trapped in sin right now, I believe that freedom starts today. I want everyone to just keep their eyes closed. Don't look around. I'm the only one looking. 
We just read in the Bible how when we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, we'll find wholeness and healing. So I want to give you a chance to confess by simply raising your hand. I'm not going to call you to the front and ask you what you did. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you did. I'm not going to look down on you for the fact that you raised your hand. I just want to give you an opportunity to say, yeah, that's me. I need to confess because I want to find healing today. So if you're ready to step into freedom, go ahead and raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Don't let this moment pass you by. There's no reason to hold on to that. Yeah, I see those hands. That's awesome. So Lord, we come to you with boldness and and, uh, with belief in your word that you say when we confess our sins to each other and we pray for each other that we find healing. So I'm praying for these people in in this room right now that feel trapped in sin, that they're going to find healing today. They received forgiveness from you and they're finding healing because they got real here in a group of believers. Lord, I thank you for your supernatural healing that's taking place in their lives, that they're not going to struggle anymore, that you're going to pull those desires out of them, that you're going to give them the power and the strength that they need to say no to whatever they need to say no to. And that, God, I ask you to remove the guilt, the shame, the regret. Just wipe that away right now in Jesus' name. There's no reason for them to hold on to that. Just help them experience freedom, true freedom. We don't got to look back. We're looking forward. And we receive your freedom, we receive your healing. Go ahead and keep your eyes closed because there's one more thing that's very important. If you're here today and you realize that you've been living without God and you're ready to turn towards him and his plan for your life, this is your turn. I want you to raise your hand. There's no reason to hide. Just simply raise your hand and say, that's me, God. I'm, I'm ready to follow you. That's me. And here's the deal. God sent his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice to pay for everything you've done wrong. It's already been paid for. Like, There's nothing you have to do to make it right. (laughs) So awesome. All you have to do is believe that Jesus did what needed to be done so that you could have a relationship with God. So we're all going to pray together out loud. You've already made that decision in your heart, so let's just seal the deal by saying this simple prayer. Everyone repeat after me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. It's obvious my way is not working. I want you to live on the inside of me. Transform me. Make me who you want me to be. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for clearing away my sin. Thank you for repairing my life. I confess you, Jesus, as Lord of my life. And I give you my life today. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. You're so amazing. It's, it's incredible that we even have this opportunity. For those of us in the room who have, who have believed for a long time, may we never lose the awe and the wonder of what you did for us. And may we never lose the, the importance of leading others down that same path. Lord, I ask that you put just a, a stirring on, on the inside of us to reach out to those around us and to lead them to Jesus. Lord, make it clear when it's time to give them that invitation and give us the courage and the wisdom to do that. We thank you, God, for the amazing work that you're doing through this church. And, you know, our our one focus, God, is to lead people to you because this is about eternity. This life's real short. I know that I could live my life for this life and end it with nothing to show for it, or I could live my life for eternity. And Lord, I ask you, it's so easy to get wrapped up in this life. I ask you that you help all of us to remember eternity every day, not just on Sundays, not just occasionally, but every day. Eternity is in mind. 
And thank you for making a difference through our lives. And thank you for allowing your power to work through us. Thank you that this isn't our effort. This isn't like our skills and ability. This is you working through us. All we got to do is surrender. Help us to surrender. Help us to die to ourselves so that Jesus can live through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you just pray that prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, we want to help you along the journey that's ahead, but we can't support you if we don't know. So we just set up a really easy way for you to tell us. You just text the word Jesus to our number, 918-373-9883, and then somebody will reach out to you and just guide you through those next steps. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to spam you. We're just going to help you. So you'll find this uh, information at the end of your message notes as well if you want to do that later while you're at home. Now, you might already know this, but here at No Limits, we're big on outreach and missions. We talk about it a lot. God has put our church together, not for our own benefit, not just for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of others. So one, one of the ministries that we support is in Mexico, and we send them $1,000 every month to support the amazing work that they're doing there in Zacatecas. And for the past two and a half years, they've been working through the process of building a new church facility, and it's completed now. And they held their dedication service this past Sunday. They had more than 134 people at the dedication service. There were salvations and there were healings that took place during that service. It was an incredible time. It's so awesome that we get to be a part of this through our giving. I want to show you all a few pictures. So take a look at this. This is from their service last week. The people of Mexico. Isn't that cool, the kiddos? Everybody loves a good kids program. And here they are, cutting the ribbon. <laughs> so if you came prepared to give today, here's how you do it. If you're giving by cash or check, you can just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. If you're giving with a debit or credit card, you can use the instructions on the screen behind me. Or if you're listening online right now or you want to give online later, you can just head to your browser on your computer, your phone, whatever device you want to use. Type in nolimits.fyi and there will be a giving button. You just tap that. It will get you where you need to go. All right, let me pray over our offering. God, we thank you so much that you're doing tremendous, amazing things through our giving. And it's only because you're multiplying it. So we thank you for the supernatural multiplication that happens when we give and when we send it out. It's incredible. We thank you for it. We trust you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give into our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And hey, if you were encouraged by this podcast, hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.